Well, I had my own dark time. You know, I had my own, I went through my own dark periods in my life, Autumn. I retired in 2019. Uh, that year, my dad died. I was very close to my father. Uh, uh, and then in 2020, you know, enjoyed retirement for a little bit, even though the death of my father shook me up. I was very depressed. Then in 2020, I had my son attempt suicide and I was no longer afraid because I was doing it for me. I wasn't doing it for everybody else. You know, as a first responder, you were a cop for a long time. We're so programmed to do things for other people. And this was the first time in my life where, not that I didn't like doing that, it was part of my job, but this is the first time in my life where I was doing The ultimate compliment is to be considered an asset by those who know you. But what exactly does that mean? And how do we get there? I believe that there is a less discussed approach to becoming a person of value, a person who is successful, respected by others, and fulfilled. It's somewhere between the hustle culture and the ease and flow of manifestation. This podcast is designed to be a resource for the ambitious, the relentless, and the rare who are breaking societal norms, going against the grain, and are open to unconventional practices as we study what it takes to be a true asset in every area of life. My hope is that you'll find this podcast unique and like it enough to share it with a friend and maybe even one day join us at one of our in-person events. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? I'm super excited to bring on today's guest. Pat has been a friend of mine since the beginning, since I've started podcasting, and that was like five or six years ago now. So um, I'm super excited. He has his own podcast. He is um, a retired, I never get it right, commander. Did I get it right? <laughs> commander, you're calling me chief there for a while. I know. I, I... <laughs> I didn't get promoted. <laughs> Anyways, he's going to introduce himself to you. Um, Pat Fitzgibbons from the CJ Evolution Podcast. Pat, tell everybody about you. Autumn, I told you this before we went live. You are awesome. I've known you for a long time. We've talked many times. It's been an honor having you on my show. I'm going to have you back. <laughs> and I know uh, it's an honor for me to, to be here again with you and uh, pleasure. It's a little early, but hey, I'm an early bird. It's early your time. It's like, what yeah. time is it your time? Uh, it's about 730. Yeah, my time. Really but I, I, like I said, I get up at like 5 a.m. I know. You know, I'm old, so I, I don't need much sleep anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> no, but uh, hello to your audience. My name is Pat Fitzgibbons. Uh, Autumn hit it uh, a little bit. I'm a retired uh, police officer, 23 years. I did my career in Colorado. Uh, I'm also an army vet. I was down in uh, Fort Bragg in North Carolina. They don't call it Fort Bragg anymore. I think they renamed it, but I know it is Fort Bragg. Uh, with the 82nd Airborne Division. And now I am a national liaison for FHE Health and their Shatterproof program. And that's a program designed specifically for first responders, not just cops, but fire EMS, all those that fall under that umbrella. Uh, and I help them get treatment for addiction, mental health, or both. Uh, and again, that's what I do. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you on, Pat. What? So what brought you to where you're at today? Like with shatterproof and you have to tell us more what you do, but what yeah. brought you there? Well, I had my own dark time. You know, I had my own, I went through my own dark periods in my life. Autumn, I retired in 2019. Uh, that year, my dad died. I was very close to my father. Uh, uh, and then in 2020, 
you know, enjoyed retirement for a little bit, even though the death of my father shook me up. I was very depressed. Then in 2020, I had my son attempt suicide. Um, we found him uh, and we went through that. He's doing great now. He's, he's thriving. And then after that, I went through a horrible divorce, very painful divorce, not just for me, but for my ex. And that lasted for about a year. Uh, you know, financially devastating as people who you know, get divorced often are. Um, and I hit a, I had a hole. I mean, I was in a hole. I was drinking uh, a lot. I was depressed until one day, one night, uh, I was very intoxicated and I had a gun to my head and I said, you know, I'm ready to end it. I had it all mapped out. I had my suicide note, you know, written out. I had it all planned out. I was going to barricade myself uh, in a shed at my brother's house and kill myself. And I remember laying in bed uh, thinking, you know, I was crying and, and drunk and, you know, had a gun to my head. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. But something inside me said, look, you got a lot to live for. You got two wonderful kids. Uh, I will get past this. So I put the, the gun down, reached out and asked for help. I called my family that knew something was wrong with me hmm. for the last year. Uh, but as first responders, not all first responders, but a lot of us were really good at putting on masks. Yes. And, and, you know, saying everything's fine. I learned later on that fine does not mean you're fucking fine. No. Fine means you're, you know, <laughs> freaked out and secure, neurotic and emotional. So I was fine. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was, I was fine. So I ended up down in Shatterproof down in Florida and Deerfield beach. I reached out through my connections like you, I have a, I'm blessed to have, you know, a big network. So I reached out, um, after I checked myself into a hospital in Denver and I said, fuck, I'm not staying here because I want to be around first responders. Yeah. And so the next day I started, you know, calling around and uh, lo and behold, I ended up on a call with a guy who works at Shatterproof who's now my good friend. And I ended up down there within 48 hours. And wow. when I was in treatment, um, it was amazing. I've never been in treatment before. You know, it's the first time because like many, I'm, I was afraid, you know, had my ego and, I was afraid to, to reach out and ask for help. And that was a big barrier for me. But once I did, and I got down to treatment and started being around other first responders from all around the country who were suffering with various issues, I started to feel better. You know, I started to get the treatment I needed. And I remember a good friend of mine that I used to manage, I used to supervise, who knew where I was at. He's a cop in Colorado. He called me up about two or three weeks into treatment. He said, hey, Fitz, how you doing? I'm doing good. He said, look, people at the old PD, I won't name the PD but that I worked at, uh, they're asking about you. You know, is it okay if I tell them what you're doing? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if you would ask me that a couple of years before autumn, I would have said, fuck no, make up some fuck shit. No. I died absolutely. or something, or, um, you know, I got kidnapped or something like that. Just don't tell them I'm in treatment. Right. Right. But at this point in my life, I was like, you know, I'm not afraid anymore. Autumn. But what changed? What made you not afraid? Because I, I put my ego aside. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the problem. I put, put my fear aside, you know, I mean, it, it was internal. I mean, it was, you know, I was in an environment, I think environmental, you know, what's around you is, is, is very important. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the right environment at the time in my life where I felt that I could drop the barrier, drop the wall. Mm -hmm. And I was no longer afraid because I was doing it for me. I wasn't doing it for everybody else. You know, as a first responder, you were a cop for a long time. We're so programmed to do things for other people. And this was the first time in my life where, not that I didn't like doing that, it was part of my job, but this is the first time in my life where I was doing it for me, mm -hmm. my mental health, my future, not for my kids, even though they're a part of it, Right. you know, I got to be in their life, but I was doing it for me. 
Yeah. And so I got to a point where I was, I don't give a fuck what people think. Mm-hmm. I don't care. People want to call me weak or, you know, oh, you're not tough enough. You got to suck it up. Well, I don't need those people in my life. And I was one of those people as, as a cop for many years. You know, you got to suck it up. Well, nobody fucking signs up to, to see dead bodies, dead kids. You know, I mean, yeah. that's part of the job, unfortunately. But nobody signs up to be traumatized every day. No. But we don't. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And so... You know, a couple of weeks in, you know, I, I started putting it out. I said I was in my niche. I was in my environment. And I, I started realizing, you know, I, I want to give back more mm-hmm. to, the, to the profession that was good to me over two decades. Mm-hmm. I want to start helping people, you mm-hmm. know, giving back more to the first responder community. And I'm very blessed to work with them. A couple months afterwards, I, I got, after I discharged from treatment, went back to Colorado. I got a call from the CEO and says, hey, man, I want you to come work for me. I was like, wow. Yeah. So now as a, as a national liaison, uh, our facility, our behavioral health facility, Shatterproof, is down in Deerfield Beach, Florida, which is about 30 minutes away from Fort Lauderdale. I work in Arizona remotely. And my job as an outreach liaison is to go to agencies, Leo's. Uh, first responders, you know, all that under that umbrella and just say, look, here's an option for you. And we also have programs for, you know, everybody, you know, I just work in the first responder program because that's my background. What is the program? Like, I don't even, I don't even know what one of these looks like. So Shatterproof is a program under the FHE umbrella. So FHE is Florida House Experience. We just call it FHE Health now. We got about seven programs. I work in the Shatterproof program, like I said, and it's a program designed for first responders run by first responders. A lot of the clinicians down there, counselors or former first responders, which when you are around first responders, that breeds trust. I'm not saying you can't trust outsiders. I'm not saying that. But most of the time, in my experience, when a first responder is in crisis, I want to talk to a first responder. Autumn, you and I can talk, you know, first responder trauma because you've been there. You've walked the walk. You've been through, you've been on traumatic calls. Mm -hmm. You and I speak the same language. Yes. You get it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, you know, people out there who aren't first responders don't get it, but they don't, they don't understand what you and I have walked through. Right. So it's run by first responders, first responders only, no civilians. And you have a myriad of different treatment modalities down there, neurostimulation, uh, neurofeedback, EMDR, I'm sure you're familiar with. We yes. teach them breath work, yoga, nutrition, music therapy, you name it down there. And they're down there for about a month. Okay. So this is, is this like a live-in program? Absolutely. It's residential. It's residential. So these are for first, this program is for first responders who are looking for an, you know, uh, a treatment facility where they can live. So we call it, you know, PHP, IOP, you know, IOP, PHP. So partial hospitalization. Um, And so it's in, in treatment, you know, in treatment living. We do offer, you know, when they, uh, we do have programs where they can, they can do, uh, you know, uh, treatment, but they don't have to live there. Got it. Because like, what if, my question is, is like somebody listening to this or, you know, who might know somebody or even for themselves. But a lot of times, as you know, most of us are going to be like, oh, I know somebody instead of looking in the mirror and being like, oh, yeah. absolutely, I could use the support. But OK, let's just say somebody's on the road and they're feeling they're feeling very stressed out, which I want to talk to you about indicators. But before we get to the indicators, 
if somebody were to come into that program, but they're still a police officer, is there any, like, what can they do? Is there any detriments, like, with their agency? Are they going to, like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I totally get it. You know, you're, you're worried about your job. You're worried yeah. about, uh, oh, shit, I can't carry a gun anymore because I'm going to be on some list. You know, I'm going to be, they're going to label me as a mental health problem. Uh, the answer is yes, we protect patients' privacy. We're, we're a healthcare facility. We're behavioral health. So privacy is very important to us. You know, if, if you have certain people on your release of information, we'll talk to those people, i.e. your agency. But we're not going to, if an agency calls me up, and it happens sometimes and says, hey, you brought one of my people down there. Um, you know, what's the status? You know, how is treatment going? I'm going to be like, who, who are you? And, and are you on their release of information? Because privacy in terms of healthcare is very important. Yes. We've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. We, about over 20 years, we, we've been doing it a long time. We, we have, uh, you know, people that are in treatment from all around the country, first responders. And yes, there are procedures that we can do to maintain the patient's privacy, as well as giving the agency you know, a little bit of information, you know, their wellness teams and saying, yeah, they're down here, they're receiving treatment, but we're not going to get into the patient, what time of treatment they're, they're getting down there and what they're suffering from. No, we're going to protect their privacy. And so that's what we do. We wouldn't be in existence if we violated that. We understand that people are going to go down there. I was like that, even though I was retired, I didn't have any kind of repercussions, but we, you know, you go down there and you're, you're worried about your job and stuff like that. We, we handle that. We, take care of that we we do what we have to do to give information but also maintain your privacy mm. if that makes sense yeah yeah and it's good because it's a, one of the biggest questions um that people come to me with there's like you know whether they want counseling or whether they want to go to a program inpatient outpatient their biggest thing is is my agency and 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 military i have a lot of military members yeah. that are like fuck no, Mm-mm, because the military has all these stipulations. And so I just didn't know, especially on like your outpatient stuff that they might not be in person. If they, would they be able to be protected? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, through HIPAA, I mean, you're familiar with, you've heard of HIPAA yes. and yeah. So we take patient privacy very, very seriously. Yeah. And it's, it's an, it's a fear for a lot of people yes. to go down there. You know, their information is going to be out there. No. Yeah. No, it's not going to be out there for public consumption and anybody in your agency to, I, I had a woman down in Florida call me up. One of her people was down and I won't name the agency, but went to treatment at Chatterproof. And she called me up and said, well, hey, what's going on with this person? I was like, pound sand. Well, okay. I'm so-and-so. I don't give a shit who you are. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, I'm not going to release any information about this, this patient down there. That's not my job. Right. Exactly. So, but we, we take care of people down there. We, we respect their privacy. Yes. If we have to interact with the agency, we will. Mm-hmm. Very limited information, mm-hmm. but we're not going to give away people's information. We're not going to do that. Good. That's and that was that's important. It's important for us to talk about because absolutely there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, okay, so now let's let's go back to when you were in like your dark your darkest mm-hmm. time. Can we talk about that? Absolutely. So <clears throat> I want to talk about it in two different ways. I'd love for you to share with us. What, like, what were you thinking about when you were like, this is it? Like, tell, share, like, what kind of space you were in to be, to feel so hopeless, I would say, yeah. that you were like, I'm fucking out. Like, what was going through your head? You know, what? that's a great question. I mean, I, it was going through my head at that time was, you know, okay, I was telling myself, you know, I'm a failure. 
Mm-hmm. Um, here, I, my son attempted suicide. I didn't catch the flags. You know, I didn't catch the signs, which later on I started looking at and saying, okay, this was a sign. This was a sign. I didn't act on it. So I guess to your question, I found a lot of guilt. Autumn. Guilt. You know, uh-huh. one thing uh, when I left law enforcement that a lot of first responders struggle with and they leave, you know, whatever they're doing in the first responder field uh, is I lost my identity. Yes. You know, I didn't know my purpose anymore. I mean, what was my purpose? So I struggled with that. Okay, what am I doing now with my life? Yeah, I'm teaching and doing other stuff. I have my show. And, but what am I doing? You know, how am I going to give back? And so I was struggling that, trying to find my place in the world. I was drinking heavily at the time, which doesn't help because now you're adding a depressant onto depression, Mm -hmm. which never works. Uh, And I was thinking about, you know, when we found my son, you know, lying on the kitchen floor, you know, in and out of consciousness, all those traumatic events and, and things I dealt with as a first responder came flooding back. Uh, as well as military stuff from 30 years ago. So I, I, the, the thing that really, when I was in a dark space was just the guilt and, and, you know, just the, the fear of people are going to view me as a, as a failure going forward. You know, I just, I was going through a divorce at the time. Okay. I, I was, you know, now it's twice I've been married. They've ended up in divorce. So I, I, I was feeling like an, like a failure mm. and I felt guilty you know, to getting into a place where I felt so, you mentioned it, hopeless, that there was no other option besides just taking my life. And it was, it was, it was a horrible time. I remember telling people, Autumn, on my show, you know, when, when people uh, were were suffering or, or, you know, they called, you know, we saw it on the job all the time. Well, just suck it up, man. Come on, just be happy. You know, and I can speak from experience when you're in that hole, when you're holding on with one hand and you got a few fingers at the edge right there and you're just holding on and somebody walks by to you and says, Hey man, just be happy. Just fucking come on. You just be happy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just words. And it really, so I'm empathetic. I'm much more empathetic to people now who, than I've ever been who are suffering. They don't have to be cops or, or first responders now, but everybody carries something, mm-hmm. some sort of trauma, some sort of baggage. So, it, it was a horrible place to, to be in. And I'm grateful that I, and, and, you know, just humbled to be doing what I'm doing now and that I put the gun down and reach out for help. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm hope you're enjoying it and getting some good stuff, mind shifting things from this. I just wanted to remind you super quick that if we are not hanging out on social media, we should be, you should come hang out with me. Um, I am the Autumn Clifford on Instagram. I'm Autumn Clifford on TikTok. And I have a Facebook group called She's an Asset. Love to have you there. Love to hang out with you and get to know you. Thank you so much for supporting my show. Let's continue. And that's the biggest barrier you mentioned it is, you know, people don't want to be viewed as weak, especially first responders. Uh, you know, the stigma behind mental health, uh, you know, they want to be labeled, they're worried about, okay, I'm going to be on it. They're going to take my gun away from me. Uh, they, they're worried about that. And I tell yeah. people, look, you got to take care of yourself first. Right. If you and don't so- take care of yourself, how are you going to be hundred percent for everybody else? Well, this is such a good topic because it leads me into my next question. What were you not doing? How were you not taking care of yourself? prior to the situation that you are now? Like, what are you doing now to take care of yourself that you were not doing? Oh, I got to a point where, you know, I, I love working out. I was going to the gym a lot and that first thing out the window, 
Uh, you know, not taking care of myself, not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, you know, as far as I was, we talked about it before we started, you know, meditation, making up uh, time in the morning for me, a routine where I'm meditating. And that was all out the window. And of course I was drinking, you know, it was like groundhog day for me, Adam. I would, I would get up in the morning. Okay. Fucking liquor store is going to open in about three hours. I got to wait around and then go to the liquor store, get shit face and then rinse and repeat. So, yeah, I mean, when you're in that cycle of drinking and not take care of yourself, I, mean, I would eat every once in a while. Autumn, when I was at my darkest uh, period, uh, I was probably about 180 pounds, 185 pounds. I'm 240 now. Wow. So I dwindled away. Wow. So, of course, that's going to affect everything, you know, your, your mental health. Uh, I was just neglecting everything. I got so scared I, to, to leave the house. I was living with my younger brother at the time. I was a recluse. I mean, I didn't want to go anywhere. I would Why? grab hub everything because I was so scared. I was having anxiety. I, if ever, and if anybody out there has ever had uh, a real, real bad anxiety, they know what I'm talking about where I was just so scared. I've never been like that before. You know, I remember when I was going to treatment on uh, my sister, God bless her. My younger sister drove me to the airport. I was smoking too cigarettes at the time, you know, which was horrible. I was so scared. I used to travel all the time. Uh, my sister was driving me to the airport because I finally reached out for help. I was going to head down to Florida for, to Shatterproof. She drove me to the airport about 40 minutes away. Uh, she lives in Colorado. And I smoke a pack of cigarettes. Oh, my God. In 40 minutes. I got to the airport. She, she, I hug her. You know, I love you. You can do this. I get out of the car. I am scared to death. I am shaking. She's like, text me, get on the plane, get on the plane, get on the plane, get on the plane. So I had severe anxiety and I've never had anxiety before, like to that point. I mean, I've been anxious before, but not debilitating. But when your mental health is so deteriorated, yeah, you know, and you keep telling the same story to yourself, you know, you're a fucking loser, you know, why don't you just kill yourself? I mean, that's just is crippling. And then, of course, you're adding, you know, a substance or, or on this case, alcohol on top of that. Mm-hmm. so it takes treatment to to get through that you know it takes help and this is where people think that they can do it by themselves no you can't fucking do it by yourself life is not a solo sport no. you know you have to have people behind you people supporting you people helping you but can we even talk about going back to like caveman times see i think i think i'm, yeah, I'm tribal kind of, communities that's what i'm saying like it's all about a community. Yeah, it's about Even community. Our children, the way that we used to live, and now we are all separated, so far away, and we're all isolated. It's yeah. no longer a community thing anymore. Well, COVID didn't do us any favors, obviously. No. You know, being isolated and cooped up. But yeah, you're right. We're a yeah, community. You know, I mean, we're all in this together. Yeah, we, you know, born and we, you know, we we do a lot of things solo. But when you're a suffering. You have to have people behind you. You're at a fucked up place. I know because I've been there. You're not thinking clear. You're not rational. And you need somebody. Look, when somebody reaches out to me, Autumn, first responder, they're in fucking crisis. Right. They're not just calling to shoot the shit. No. I need fucking help right now. Right now. Right now. And we get them help right now. We get them on a plane. We get them down there. Mm-hmm. And so when they've got to that point, because, you know, we just talked about ego, fear, all that stuff. What are people going to say about me? They finally put the, you know, did the step forward and say, I need some fucking help. Yeah. 
We need to get them help. Yeah. You know, 40% of first responders out there are suffering from mental health, addiction, or both. Absolutely. And that's the number we know about, 40%. So that's what we know. That's what we know. That's what's reported. So my guess is it's probably much, much higher, especially in this climate. 100%. Where first responders are getting attacked from, yeah. from everywhere. I'm not just talking about physically attacked. I'm talking no. about on social media and stuff like everywhere. that. You know, and I and I do believe that the majority of people out there support first responders, but they're they're not as vocal anymore. Yeah, I, I, there's there is support out there. Yeah, but they didn't. I didn't have to deal with this shit when I was a cop. Yeah, man. Yeah, we had social media, but not to this point where even elected officials, senior elected officials, are now slamming cops. Yeah, you know, and slamming first responders. So they're getting hit. From, from everywhere. Not only yeah. do they have to do with the stressors and trauma of the job, they got to look at this fucking social media that's out of control, a lot of it, disparaging against our brothers and sisters who serve. Mm-hmm. They, they have so much to deal with. Yeah. And, and personal stuff. So, yep. 100%. Yeah. You're 100% right. And okay, so let's talk about indicators. So, you've named some from based on what your experience was. You really talked about, you know, alcohol, not going to the gym. Um, smoking cigarettes, being a recluse. What else? So like, let's say there's an officer or a spouse that's listening to this and they're like, geez, I think, you know, either myself or somebody who I know really struggling. Like I've seen them change. What are some indicators that we can be on the lookout for to be able to just support somebody, not necessarily be like, okay, like you're fucked, but at least support them, Pat, to know like, oh, they might be going down a slippery slope. Well, I would say, you know, physical deterioration. I mean, you can, you can, that's an obvious indicator that you actually see, um, you know, you know, physical deterioration, losing weight, um, things like that. Isolation is a big one. You know, somebody who's normally, you know, social, who now wants to isolate Mm -hmm. uh, people who are, you know, like in the work, you know, you, I saw it in police work and you probably did too, Autumn, somebody who's very productive and then their productivity falls, you know, falls off the cliff and they're not doing anything anymore. Yeah. Somebody who's not talking again, like I said, somebody who is very communicative before and now is, doesn't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, and of course, people who get hooked on drugs, opioids and stuff like that. I mean, those are obvious indicators. Um, those are red flags. And I exhibited all those with the exception I wasn't on opioids or any drugs or anything like that, except alcohol. But for the person out there who's listening, look, you know, the person that you might be thinking of right now that might be in some trouble, do something about it. You know, don't, I mean, because the problem that I had is, and I love my family is they knew something was wrong with me, but nobody approached me and said, what's going on? Until mm-hmm. I hit that, hit that breaking point. Now everybody's like, oh, we knew something was wrong. Well, so- and you bring up a really good point, Pat. How do we do that? So that is something that I think needs to be d- discussed a little more. How do you, how do you, how do you do that? How do you check on somebody without being well, like? Well, I think it, you do it gently. You know, you do it, you know, have some tact, have some empathy. I think the last thing you want to do with somebody who, is struggling with whatever they're struggling with is do, and I was guilty of this a long time ago. Hey man, just suck it up. This is what you signed up for. You know, you have to suck it up. You know, don't be weak. 
You're weak now. You can't be weak. That's bullshit. So the way to approach it is gently. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm coming at this, Autumn. I'm coming at you and I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of a place of love and caring. I love you. I care about you. Yeah. I want to help you with whatever I can. The, the last thing you want to do is start attacking somebody mm-hmm. and coming at them with the hard, you know, well, this is what you signed up for. Unfortunately, that's still a lot of culture out there in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you're, you're, you're weak, man. You got to suck it up. That's bullshit. You know, yeah, you got to be tough in, as a first responder. You got to be able to handle different calls and, and witness things that are horrible. You got to be resilient. Yeah. But you have to maintain and you have to look after yourself too and for the people out there that are telling you this shit about oh you're weak and you don't need those people in your life right you don't need those people in your life yeah you know so i would approach it very gently you know whatever situation maybe it's a spouse a partner a friend uh, a co-worker you know a, a brother or sister you have to because uh, you know that person yes you know you know that person yeah uh so you 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 have to handle it gently. I would say, don't attack them. You know, don't attack them. Have some empathy. Mm-hmm. Be empathetic to what mm-hmm. they're going through and do what you can to help them. And <clears throat> what are some things that our listeners can do right now to, to help them? It, let's say they're not all the way down that path, but mm-hmm. let's say they're they're kind of teetering a little bit of struggle. Like they could, you know, they could start picking up drinking. They could start going down a bad path. What are some, what are some things you've implemented in your life? You, you touched on it, but let's, let's really dive deep into like, what are some things that they could implement so that would help them from going down the path that maybe you went down? Yeah. I, I think, you know, taking care of, of yourself, taking care of your body. Mm. You know, even if you feel like shit, that's the time to go to the gym yeah, or, or to take a walk mm-hmm. or, or, or do something with your body, mm-hmm. get your body moving. You know, when you get your body moving and you're doing some form of exercise, it's going to release those endorphins. It's going to make you feel better most yes. of the time. Yeah. So do something. Um, I would, you know, look at who's in your life. And this is a tough one. Who's in your life? that are, are lifting you up and, and who, who's bringing you down. Yeah. There's only, I only have a small circle of, of really, Me too. really close friends that I can mm-hmm. confide in Autumn. And it's not because I, I don't like people. Mm. It's b- because I, I want to be around people that are lifting me up. That's it. I don't want to, and this is hard, very hard, like I said, because sometimes they're family members. Mm-hmm. And yes. then when you start disassociating yourself with for family members, oh, you don't love me. No, it's not about, I don't love you. It's just that I don't want to hear the shit. I don't want to be toxic. I want to hear the toxicity. So I I would look at, you know, take care of yourself physically, who you're surrounding yourself with, which in my opinion is huge. Yes. Breathe. Yep. You know, the next time you're going through some anxiety, something that I've learned, it was, you know, breathe, just breathe, Mm -hmm. breathe in and out. Just take a few moments. That helps usually. And, the, and I know this is the next thing I'm going to say. I know it might sound corny, but I'm going to say it anyway. Look, the shit that I used to worry about, and I'm, maybe I'm just getting, I am old, but getting a little older. Um, the shit I used to worry about, Autumn, and I'm not saying I don't worry about stuff. I'm not saying people don't worry about stuff. But the stuff I used to really worry about, even today, I've made it bigger than it is in my mind. Yes. And then if it does come to fruition, if it does happen, it's usually 
much less severe than I had it in my mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we, I alluded to it at the beginning of the show. Yes. You know, you, you have to take care of yourself. We talk about law of attraction. I'm a big believer in that. Me too. You know, uh, I'm a big believer in it. So I wake up every day uh, being grateful, Yeah. you know, because I have a roof over my head. I'm healthy. I have another day at the bite of the apple. Mm-hmm. So that's another way. And I, and I know for people who might be listening who are suffering right now, well, you just tell me to be grateful. Yeah, I'm telling you to be grateful because you're alive for one. Yep. And you add another day to, to make your life better. But I tell people too, Autumn, mm-hmm. <laughs> people say, well, you sound like a dick. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, that's not my intention, but it's the truth. Nobody's coming to save you. Nobody's going to swoop in and save you and take away all your pain. No, take away all your financial problems, whatever the hell it is. You have to learn to save yourself. So true. It's like Morpheus and Neo matrix, you know, Hey, Neo, I can show you the door, but you got to walk through it. And it's the same for people out there. There's so many resources out there to help you. Uh, but you have to save yourself. Life's yes. internal. A lot of it. I mean, it starts internally, right. you know? So for the people out there suffering, first of all, I empathize with you. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I'm very empathetic to people who are, are suffering right now, but there are things you can do to mitigate it. Yes. You know, there's things you, you can always mitigate it. Mm-hmm. So, so good. Pat, how can people find you? My show, cjevolution.com. You know, my contact information is all there. My, my YouTube, which I, just, I started doing YouTube. Well, I don't do it. Somebody does it for me. But that's awesome. YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you can find me. Uh, well, all my social handles are, are on cjevolution.com. cjevolution.com. And how do we find you on Instagram? Just because that's our most popular. Uh, Patrick underscore Fitzgibbons. All right. I'll put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. Put it in the show. Thank you so much for coming on. You this, are amazing, this- my friend. This episode is just so, it's so needed. This is just so needed. The conversation. Yeah, yeah and, I mean, and, they, oh, go ahead. And what, well, and what makes it even better is because you know that I've been in the resiliency field for a long time. But the thing is, Pat, is you walk, you were that, you walk down a path, man. Like you experience. So you have, it's the same thing. Like first responders can talk to first responders. But when you've experienced something like that, like I, I won't lie, like I've been in a low, but I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a no, I didn't, you know, you walk down that path a little further than me. And so the conversations with you that people can have with you, they're just going to be so much more incredibly, like they're going to be deeper than like I could go with them in my opinion. And so I just feel like this conversation is just so needed. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I appreciate that. Autumn, because you're right. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, not just first responders, but I mean, all the stuff that's going on in the world, it's a lot, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting hit with, with a lot of stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are struggling out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there is help out there, you know, and we, we talked about it before, you know, community, you know, we, we have to help each other. We, we have to, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm blessed to be here with you. Uh, my friend, my contact information is on the website. People can reach out to me. Look, yes. I answer the phone. This is what I do. Yes. I try to help our brothers and sisters who are suffering. So thank you. So good. Thank you, Pat. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. And everybody, I'll see you next time. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the She's an Asset podcast. If you wouldn't mind, could you please share this out? The only way we grow and I can get this out to as many people as possible is with your help. So we're kind of in this together. And the good thing is, is I know you have my back. So uh, I want to say thank you and ask for you to share the show. And if we're not hanging out in the socials, I hope that you'll come and hang out with me. I'm Autumn Clifford pretty much everywhere. Thank you so much. See you next time.